Wow. It's so awesome to be here. I've been watching through social media. I've been downloading, just like Pastor Andrew was saying a second ago. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I've been listening to Pastor Mark's teachings since uh, probably 1996. And so I, I, I too feel like that I am in, I'm playing in a home court right now. I really feel like I'm part of this and I love what I see here. And I just want to honor, you know, the Driscoll family and just the vision that, that you, Pastor Mark, have brought here. Do you guys know that this is not normal? Okay. Like, do you know that? This is not normal. This is not happening in the middle of the year and the year and whatever that we've had that the church is just blowing up and expanding and doing so much more. So I just would love to just honor what God has done here through your leadership and through the vision of Pastor Mark and Grace and the family and what they've done here. Can we just honor them real quick as, as men? Can we do that? And, uh, you know, when we talk about family, you know, a word that he, he said is so dear to his heart, and I've heard it said many times even today, and that is legacy. Legacy. Uh, at my church at home, I'm, I'm from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Right there. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And, uh, and I pray for all of the Dallas Cowboys to get saved so they can win the Super Bowl. Are you going to cheer for people to get saved? Okay, there we go. There we go. I know that was a conflict, right? That was a conflict. But, uh, but no, I'm from Dallas. I'm from uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas. And, uh, and I'm married and have uh, three daughters. I also happen to have three guns. Um, I also have a son and uh, so four kids. And it is, it is a powerful thing in our home, truly, because my father is a pastor emeritus at our church. He was 40 years as a pastor in a local church and then went on and did a whole lot of other things, expanding his influence with pastors all over the world. And then I finally said, Dad, you got to get off the road and come and be with me. And, and what's happened is really, really powerful. It is legacy. And, and particularly at our church, and I, I bet you it's true here too, that a lot of us are looking for that legacy. You know, maybe the legacy that you had was a legacy you don't want to carry forward, right? And, and, and maybe there's some lessons that you're looking at the people that would inform you from your history, and you say, I'm not sure that I want that for my kids. I'm not sure that the, because you found Jesus or there's something new happening in your life. And so today, what I'd love to do for all of us is just talk about some keys to leaving that lasting legacy, I've never seen any other organization like the church that can change family trees. There's nothing else like it. When you find Jesus, you literally see your family tree changed. And, and what I love to do is I just want to read a scripture to you that is near and dear to my heart that I believe helps unlock a lasting legacy. But also, I want to share a little bit about my dad. And tonight's kind of legacy talk. And I want to share, like my testimony, truly, some stories that have made an impact in my life uh, from my dad. Because I did grow up in a godly home. I grew up with a dad that knew Jesus, preached Jesus. And really, I'm kind of like Pastor Mark's kids. You know, I grew up in that kind of environment, a real strong visionary leader, a builder. And I want to share just a few stories that I think 
really, really coincide with the scripture that we're at today. So Psalm chapter 128, I'm really not here to teach. I'm really here more to just coach you up today. Um, Psalm chapter 128, though, I want to read this. If, if nothing else, I want to introduce you to this passage so you later could think about this, that you could maybe even share it with your wife if you're married. Psalm chapter one, verse, uh, 128, starting in verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Let those words sink in. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. That's a promise. That's a family tree that's been changed right there. Okay, here it is. You ready? Verse three. This is where I want you to really lock in. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. That's good. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May he see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace upon Israel. Did you hear that? May you see your children's children. Legacy, legacy, legacy. And in that scripture, when I think of this scripture, it really does make me think about some stories with my dad that I think really do teach us what it looks like to have a lasting legacy. So I want to talk about three keys that will help you with that legacy. Key number one is embrace your authority, men. Embrace your, this passage is speaking to men. Your wife, may she be like a, a, great, a fruitful grapevine. Your kids, as they sit around your table, they're alive. They're like potted plants that are alive and vital. This, this is talking to the man, saying, hey, you, when you look at your family or your future family, I want it to be fruitful. I want you to have legacy at the table, generation after generation. And so when I think of that, one of the most dominant stories that I think about with legacy that, that has taught me well, and I've shared it at my church many, many times, is the story of, of, of my dad and mom uh, leading us to play sports. We love to play sports in our family. I, I myself, I'm always at a football game. I'm always at a basketball game. I'm always running here. I'm always running there. And I happen to be, remember, three daughters. I have been a cheer dad. Pray for me. <laughs> and then it, what was worse, I'm now a dance dad. Pray double hard for me, okay? Any, anybody out there, are you a dance dad or a cheer dad? We all want to pray for you. If you didn't raise your hand, I'm not going to judge you because, you know, your people at your table will. But anyway... Now, the truth is that, that, you know, we're running here and running there. Well, when I was growing up, my two older brothers, they played soccer really well. We were in Dallas, and, and they were playing soccer so well that they were kind of rising up in the ranks. They were going into club soccer. Now, this was back in the, let's call it late 70s, early 80s, sometime in that, in that zone of, of, of Dallas-Fort Worth. And, and club soccer was really big, and, and they had this English coach and this... Uh, this English coach spoke with the accent. So because he spoke with an accent, we were sure he was an awesome soccer coach, right? Like he has to be awesome if he's from over there, you know? Anyway, and so I, my, my parents tell the story that that that, that coach would get up and, and just talk to the parents. Do you want your kids to get a scholarship when they go to school? Do you want them to play soccer for the big teams? Do you want them to play soccer in college? And they would, they would rally it up. Well, to do that, we've got to go to this tournament and it's going to cost this. And to do this, we've got to up the practices and we've got to do that. And one day my dad tells a story that after a big talk like that, his boys got in uh, that soccer coach's station wagon. Okay, we'll just move on. But got into the station wagon and he saw his boys on a weekend 
which might have included a Sunday, truthfully, from time to time. He saw his boys get in that car with the coach and drive off, and the Holy Spirit of God spoke to him. Have you ever had that moment where God just, it was just like so clear and so strong? The Holy Spirit of God said that as he watched his two boys driving off with that coach, God said, you are losing your sons to another man. God spoke to him. Those boys are spending more time with that godless coach than they are with you. After that tournament, the boys came home. Now, I played soccer too, but it was nothing, okay? I would like sit there and pick daisies and look at the sky as my dad's saying, run, Brandon, run. But anyway, so this story more about the older brothers, okay? And when they got back from that tournament, my, uh, my dad says that basically brought the boys together and, and just said, all right, guys, uh, this is your last tournament. Now, they were good. Like, they were really good. One was a goalie, one was a guy who scores, whatever that position is. I don't know much about soccer. I consider it a socialist sport. But anyway, <laughs> sorry. But, um, but the truth is, he said, this is your last tournament. We're not doing this anymore. And, and can you imagine the leadership moment that is? Like, the courage. Like, really, put yourself there. Your boys are good. They love it. They're succeeding. And you tell them you're done. For no reason in their minds. They don't know why. He said, God told me, you're done. Now, now here's a parenting lesson, okay? Here's a parenting lesson. He didn't just say, we're done. He then went back to the closet and pulled out guns and fishing rods. Come on, anybody. If you're going to take something away, bring something better, right? And to this day, what we do as a family, guess what we do? We fish together, we talk about where we've been fishing, you know, and I still have the gun. I'm just saying at that moment, that was a leadership crossroads for the family. And there's nothing wrong with playing sports. There's nothing wrong with playing basketball, football, or any of that. But the question is, when God tells you to grab a moment, are you going to grab the authority that God has given you in your family? And will you step into that moment and lead, even though it is intimidating and difficult? You see, you got to grab your authority. What did, what did the Bible say? Your table. They're around your table. God has put you in your family. You are the leader. You're the man. Let's build you up. You are the man. So when God gives you a vision, yes, you pray with your wife and, and you're together for sure. But there's a moment where you, you step into authority and you lead your home. I mean, I'm convinced, seriously, as we get a vision for our homes and you want to leave a legacy, you got to grab that authority. You got to ask yourself a question. When my son, who's this great pitcher, whenever he's 35 years old and he's having a hard time in his marriage and, 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 and you're having a hard time communicating, does he go in the backyard and throw some 90 mile fastballs? When your daughter is having a hard time with the husband. She feels alone. She feels isolated. Does she go into the, into the backyard and do a couple of back handsprings? It's silly, right? You see, we spend a whole lot of time on the back handsprings. We spend a whole lot of time on throwing the fastball. How much time are we spending cultivating a heart that could love a wife? How much time are we spending cultivating a heart that would love a husband? How much time are we coaching them how to love and see the dignity of women in their lives? Are we spending as much time or more time than we would on a sport that will expire in their lives? 
You see, you got to grab that authority. That's your table. And sometimes you'll see threats, friendship groups with your kids. You'll say, you know, I'm not so sure about this friendship group. I'm not so sure about this friendship group. I got a bad feeling about this friendship group. And there'll be a moment where you as husband and wife will have to say, hey, look, we're, we're going we're gonna to peel back from you hanging out with that group of friends and they're going to pitch a fit. Grab your authority. Grab your authority. Are you ready to grab your authority? That's key number one. There's some recent studies have shown, I, I threw this into the notes right before I came. That kids with an involved communicating dad, you ready for this? Number one, this was not a Christian study. Number one, they, get, they have a higher IQ. Studies show that if you're a communicating, involved father, your kids are going to have a higher IQ. Number two, more emotional well-being. In other words, more comfortable with brief separation as little ones. That if you're in the game, that they're actually more comfortable. They're more self-assured. These are just the studies. Less, uh, less depressed, less disruptive. Some of you are like, what happened to my kid? But, you know, you, better adjustment in high school. Once they get to high school, there's just better adjustment, more confidence with a, with a dad that's involved, engaged. And then more confidence, ambition at work. As they grow up, they start to leave the home. They start to, to, to just take off, Right? Now, I'm not saying that it's the only ingredient because some of you had bad dads, right? You had bad examples. You had examples that left you with some wounds and you have soared. But the studies show that you want to give your kids a chance. You want to give your kids a, you got to grab that authority. A second story with my dad that just is so deep in my heart, I'll never forget it. I was a punk high school student, you know, right before I went off to college and and we were headed out. Now, did any of y'all road bosses, like you gotta, like when it's time for a trip or you're going somewhere, like everybody get out of your way because you are driven. Raise your hand if you're a road boss, right? Like you, you are just into it, right? I've now turned into that guy in my family. Susan will just give me a look like, come on, you need to calm down, you know? And uh, I'm like, but we're late! No. And uh, I was the guy that was taking too much time and I was going slow and I was doing my own thing. But, and, and, and my dad barked at me in front of my sister-in-law, in front of my younger brother, in front of my mom. He barked at me in anger. And then I, the punk kid, I barked back, right? Because I'm about to be in college, right? So I barked back and I said something and I got so mad, I stormed out of the house, went into the backyard and I was just fuming. Okay. Now, I, my dad is a strong man. Okay, He came and followed me out. I was expecting for the argument to escalate. I was expecting for it to continue. He said something that literally changed my life. When he came out, I was filled with adrenaline. My heart was pumping. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he said, Brandon, I was wrong. And I have never forgot those words. I, I know where I was standing. I know what he looked like. And as he looked at me and he said, I was wrong. He went on to say, you know, hey, I'm not saying you're right. Right? As a matter of fact, you're wrong too. But I was wrong. I was wrong. 
because I spoke to you that way. And I spoke to you out of anger. Later in life, as we grew up and we had kids, my parents have met with every single one of us boys that grew up in the home, and they've met with us to apologize for things that God had revealed to them that they did wrong. Does anybody right now know that right now you're doing something wrong? Like, no matter how right you think you are, we are all sinful people, and there's something that's off about your parenting. Here's key number two. Admit you're wrong. Admit you're wrong. What is it about us that makes us hold on to right so tightly we can't say the words? Is it even kind of a joke in your family? Is it kind of a joke? Oh, dad, he'll never admit he's wrong. He'll never admit he's wrong. Is it a little bit like a joke? It's not a joke. They mean it. Listen, one of the most healthy things you can do is to say, I was wrong. You want to change your family trees? Because here's why. You ready? They know you're wrong. It's kind of like confession, right? When you confess to God, doesn't God already know? Like, he's already there. You're not informing him that you've sinned against him. Like, when I say, God, would you forgive me for this sin? He's like, oh, wow, I missed that one. No, when you ask God to forgive your sin, you're agreeing with him. Well, guess what? Your family probably already knows that you're not perfect. I mean, if they're above the age of eight, they figured it out. You're no longer Superman. And so the greatest thing we can do is live in reality for the young generation. And even this is great for your wife, right? To be able to say, baby, I feel a little weird saying that in front of you guys, right? Just saw, saw a guy when I said, baby. And I was like, whoa, whoa, buddy. Okay. But to say, baby, you know, I was wrong. I was wrong. I'm an, I'm, I'm, I don't know what, what came over me. I don't know. There is power in confession. Doesn't the Bible teach us that? There is power in confession. Confess your sins one to another that you may be, anybody know it? Healed. Confess your sin one to another that you may be healed. You want to know how you'll be able to tell somebody you're wrong? It's if you spend time with the Lord and you allow him to show you that you're wrong. If you have a humble heart that gets in the scripture, let me give you a couple of attempts. When you're sitting and you're listening to a message at Trinity Church, take notes, pray over what you've learned. Let God deal with you. Like, it doesn't just happen in the room. Let the conversation with the Lord continue out of the room. And let Him show you the different ways that you need to grow. Because when you are a lifelong learner, then you have the opportunity to pick out the areas and you're always fine-tuning. There's a, there's a theological word I'll, I'll introduce you to. You've probably heard it before. But if not, it's the word sanctification. The word sanctification, it's a big word. You want to know what it means? It means that God has a vision of who you should be. It's the person that you would be, that you could be. It's the person you would be if you had never been polluted by sin. And it's the person you can be more of every day as you give God full reign of your life. You see, when you come to know Christ, it's between death and life right? It's not about good or bad. It's about am I alive or dead? But every single day, you can grow more like Jesus every single day. You take a few steps forward, you take a couple of steps back, 
You take six steps forward, you take three steps back. When you're walking with God, one of the most important aspects of you following God is in the Word, listening to messages, talking with your spouse, talking with good friends at your table, finding out, man, I've been wrong this whole time. I'm drinking too much. I'm drinking too much. I need to go to my wife and say, man, I've been living on a buzz. Every night when I come home, I, I just go for the buzz and I'm not present, right? I'm not present. Anybody willing for me to talk plainly to you here tonight? I'm not present. I, I'm not, I haven't been with you, baby, and I'm so sorry. And, and God's been teaching me this, that I've, I've been trying to escape. You see, all of a sudden, man, she's just coming alive, right? I was wrong. Key number two, I was wrong. Key number three, keep it real. Keep it real. Keep it real. I'm talking about authentic faith. Keep it real. Now, what this looks like is I was walking this story, and this is the briefest of them all. I was just walking through my house one day. My dad had a, had a study in our house, front room of the house. And he would always shut the door and he would study for his messages at the house in the morning. And when I was growing up, it was always, shh, dad's studying. Shh, dad's studying. And uh, it was a very important time. And as I grew up, I just understood in the mornings, you kind of keep it, keep it hush-hush on Saturdays or whenever you're there. And, and it was a little after that morning time and I was looking for dad. And so I opened up the door to his study and I'm going in and I'm looking and, and, and I'm looking and I don't see him. And then I look down, and I see my dad with his face on the ground, praying before God. Door closed on his face before the Lord, and he was so in the moment, he didn't even hear me come in. All right, what this means for you and for me, I can't even explain unless unless you could get inside my head. I'm a preacher's kid. Have y'all ever heard jokes about preacher's kids? You know, oh, they're the preacher's kids. They're the worst. You know, whatever. I hate those jokes, by the way. Okay? Please don't make those jokes. It just makes it worse. Okay? Um, But the truth is that whether you are in church and you bring your kids to church and they see you worshiping or you're on a stage singing or preaching, The next generation wants to see the real deal. I grew up in a church where we had deacons, okay? Why did you laugh? (laughs) We grew up with some deacons. And often, uh, they would come on Sunday, and, and they would raise their hands and sing loud, these particular people I'm thinking of. Don't worry, I've been through counseling over it. Um, I'm kidding. But they would, they would raise their hand and sing loud one day a week, and then mean as the devil six days a week. You want to change your family tree. You want to leave a lasting legacy. You may be 20 years old right now, and you're not even, you're not even dating somebody, but you want to have that kind of legacy. You want to have that kind of life. I got a word for you. Listen to me. Here it is. Make your faith 100% real every square inch of your life. That doesn't mean you're perfect. Remember, hey, admit when you're wrong. That means that we're all bad dads at times. Right here too. But keep it real. Keep it real. Let let your faith saturate every part of your life. And that's going to mean stretch yourself. 
Stretch yourself to learn. We open our Bibles to learn, right? Stretch yourself to learn. Lean in a little harder. Go a little further. Listen a little better. You never took notes? Start taking notes. You never listened to the message twice? Go back and listen to it again. Let's go a little further. Learn a little more. Stretch yourself. Hunger for knowledge. Not because you have to. You open your Bible because you, you, it's not a duty. It's devotion. It's like, I've got to know this. I've got a whole generation counting on me. I've got to have this. I won't be the husband that she deserves if I'm not in the word of God. I'll just deliver a, a strong statement. There is no hope of you leaving a last, lasting legacy if you will not read your Bible. If you're not going to read your Bible or even just take the Bible that's been read to you, like on the weekend when you walk through Romans chapter 11 and you hear what's been taught to you, just take that. Just take that and every single day read it again and pray to God. Read it again and pray to God. Make it real. Or maybe it's in your commute. You've got, you get in your car to go to work. When you're in the car, you turn on, uh, you turn on the message again or you turn on something. You're just feeding your faith, feeding your faith, feeding your faith. Make it real as you learn, but make it real as you live, right? We open our Bibles to learn. We open our hearts to love, right? As you open your heart to love, let that love just really be biblically based, but Holy Spirit fueled, right? Make it 100. Keep it 100. Open up your heart. And that means that there's going to come a time where you're going to pray all by yourself. And maybe a kid won't stumble on you. And you pray a whole year all by yourself and no kid stumbles on you. Because it's not for the kid to stumble on you. It's between you and God. That you're, you're making it 100 saturation. Where you would 100% give your life to 100% following him. That there comes a point in your life where you say, hey man, I am all the way in. If that means that my family has a little mission drift... We have a little mission drift with the way we spend our money. We have a little mission drift with the way that we're consuming sports. We have a little mission drift with our, with our entertainment. We have some mission drift. Well, then I'm going to step into my authority. I'm going to admit that we are wrong, and we're going to keep it 100 as a family. You see, there comes a point in, our, in all of our lives where we have to decide, man, am I all in? Am I all in? Here's a way that you're all in. Whenever you give, tell your family about it. I've known people that they tithed and then they even gave more and their kids never knew it. Tell your kids about how you give sacrificially. Tell your kids about how you gave for some project at the church. I have been amazed at the teenagers as we're building this building that, that Pastor Mark referred to. We're building this building and some of the teenagers that are walking through and, and they've, they've kind of brought together some money but, but their parents have been telling them about what they had been doing. And as they walk through the building, we're taking tours and they're seeing that vision come to life that their parents, they, these teenagers, listen to this, teenagers are crying. How does that happen? Why would a teenager be emotionally moved over a, a building, right? It's because it's a vision in their family. When you're giving, 
teach it to your kids. Tell your kids. What does the Bible say uh, in, the, in the Shema, right? That's what the, in the, in the, when, what the Hebrews would tell you. They'd say every single morning as you pray over your kids, you need to, you need to do it as they, as they wake up, as they go to bed, as they go. Just as you go, talk to them about the Lord. Talk to them about the Lord. As you go. One of the things that I do now, talking about legacy, uh, every single morning my dad would read the Bible through the book of Proverbs. We sit down and have breakfast, and, uh, and we would go through the book of Proverbs, one chapter every single day. And that would take you through a month, and then we'd just start all over again. So basically through my high school years, I just kept revolving around the book of Proverbs. He just wanted me to know wisdom from folly. Well, what I do with my kids, because we're not as disciplined as my dad, okay? I'm just keeping it real. Sometimes it's hard for us to all have breakfast together because we're all going different directions, and I have girls, all right? And, and, so, and so what I've committed to do is when I take them to school, when I take them to school, I'll just ask my boy, I'll say, Beck, give me the, give me the verse of the day, man. And, and it's gotten to where I don't even ask. He just starts, he'll read the verse of the day. I've got about 10 minutes with him. Okay, let's unpack that. Georgia, unpack that for me. She's in uh, seventh grade. Georgia, unpack that for me. Tell me about the verse. What does that mean to you? Half the time, it's totally wrong. Okay, totally jacked up. Like bad theology, you know. And I, you know, kind of correct, but I don't want to, you know. And so, and then Beck will correct her. Okay, he's one year older. But, uh, but that just, it's just 10 minutes on a drive. And you think 10 minutes is no big deal? Well, I'll tell you what, it is a big deal 30 days. You know, for a semester, it's a big deal. For a semester, it becomes a big deal. And I'm counting on those seeds to be planted in my kids. Keep it 100. And when it's time to sing, when it's time to sing, look, I'm not, I'm not expecting you to sing well, but God says something happens when we sing. And let your kids sing. Let your kids see you sing. Let your wife see you sing right? Let it be from the heart because there's something that happens in, in your heart. You say, man, I'm just not into that. I'm just not really into that. Well, you know what? When you're at the football game and your team scores, all of a sudden you're like, "Woohoo!" I think you're into that. I think you're into that. I think your heart needs to be opened up, right? And build your worship. Now I'm just picking a couple of things, but, but, but the point is this. Again, tonight I'm just trying to share what I've seen in my life that's leaving a lasting legacy from Psalm 128, from my life to yours. And with that, it's my prayer that you could leave here and say, man, one of these keys, I'm not nailing. A couple of these keys, I'm doing okay. Build on what you're doing right and grow in the area that you're not doing as great. We've got a few questions that I'd love to throw at you. I'd love to, I'd love to just let you chew on. I want to walk through these questions um, I love what you guys are doing here. We're going to totally rip it off in Texas. I love what y'all are doing here. Number one question, what has God put under your authority? What has God put under your authority? Grab your authority. See, here's an authority lesson. Um, you've got to get under what God has put over you. And you've got to get over what God has put under you. So what has God put under your authority? Maybe it's at work. You have a team. God's put that under your authority. Maybe you have a friendship group and you're clearly the leader. God has put that friendship group under your authority. And especially in your family, what has God put under your authority? 
It's the over-under principle. One of the reasons you may have rebellious kids is because every single night, it seems, you're tearing down your boss at the dinner table. You're not getting under what God has put over you, and you're teaching them to do the same. Okay? And so you got to get under what God has put over you, and you got to get over, though. This is where I want to build you up. Get over what God has put under you. Grab that. Leadership can sometimes get out of vogue, right? Oh, we're all together. No, God uses leadership to make things new. If you want a new family tree, what has God put under your authority? Number two, what authority has God put over you? Just think about the areas that maybe God has put over you. Number three, why do men resist admitting that they are wrong? Notice I didn't say why you, because if you already have a problem, you're not going to admit it at your table. But, but why do men resist admitting that they are wrong? Number four, how do you define authenticity? What does keeping it 100 mean for you? And as you chew on these questions, I pray that the Holy Spirit would change some lives. Can we pray together? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for what you've done in this church. I thank you for this vision. I thank you for the difference that you're making in this city and beyond. Father, I thank you for the lives changed. I'm I'm still celebrating over 100 baptisms this past Easter at the Trinity Church, God. I thank you for what you're doing here. And I thank you for these men. I thank you for the men that are serving. I thank you for these men that are giving. I thank you for these men that are in this room leaning in and learning, challenging themselves. And God, I pray today that we would leave this place changed, better, built up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.